You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Several of you come up to me over the last couple of weeks and, and just talk about busyness. And I want to take a minute this morning. If we're doing anything this morning, um, we're letting go. We're entrusting ourselves to the reality that Jesus meets us as we gather as his people. So I'm, I want to invite you into just uh, a little bit of a moment of stillness slowness, reflection, maybe you think about nothing, maybe you think about the passage we just read, maybe you invite God to do something in this moment, just take a minute in in silence, slowness, empty space. Redemption Church is a community of people who are centered on Jesus, who are pursuing connection and redemption through grace, sharing, and exploration. That is who we are. Jesus is our center. Jesus is the one in whom we find life. He is the rock on which we stand. Jesus is everything. Uh, We have been in this series where we're talking about practices of the inner life, ways that we can connect with this Jesus, ways that Um, We can become more aware of this Jesus who's assured us that he's with us by his spirit. And so um, this week, as we near the end of this series, we're going to take on the daunting task of talking about scripture. And I say it's daunting because uh, as your pastor, I just know there are a hundred different stories and a hundred different complicating factors to your relationship with scripture. Some of that is... There's a naivete that's like uh, maybe a good thing that I don't want you to lose of like, no, this is what scripture is. It's maybe overly simplistic, but then there's also like a more complicated understanding of scripture that has led some of you to be like, well, we just don't even need scripture anymore. And then even worse cases, there are many of you have heard your stories there that like real actual pain uh, and trauma has been inflicted on you as people have used scripture. And so I I approach this conversation with all of that in my head going, how in the world do we address this in 30 minutes, which is actually going to be like 45, because y'all know how this has been going. But we have our work cut out for us, don't we? And yet I don't want us to be afraid of having this conversation because there's something here for us. There is There is a well, there is living water, there is a a participation in the divine that we are being invited into 
And by just simply ignoring it or walking away from it, uh, I think we would be missing out on something really good and beautiful and life-giving for us. So a lot of us have real, good, honest, earnest questions about the Bible. I want you to have those questions. You need to have those questions. And if you don't have those questions, I want to assure you that at some point you would, and I would even say you should have those questions. But I don't have enough time uh, to address all of those questions this morning. And so at the start of this, I'm going to touch on a couple of high points, but I want to let you know, like, I am here and available to have uh, conversations with you. We also will do a class again in the fall where we will spend six or seven weeks slowly unpacking and having a more, like, small cohort-style class on what to do with the scriptures and how have you interacted with the scriptures and being able to, to really address some of that. But so many Christians come to the scriptures with an overly simplistic way of reading it that says something to the effect effect of, well, the Bible says it, and so that settles it, as if it were that easy, while others hold an overly skeptical and critical view of the scriptures, wanting almost to toss it out entirely or dissect it into so many tiny pieces that it loses meaning altogether. Uh, This is famously the Thomas Jefferson Bible, which is significantly smaller than our Bibles, because he basically says, I'm going to go through and I'm going to take out anything and everything that does not fit into my understanding of the world. And so anything that was supernatural, anything that could not be explained uh, via reason and experience, he cut out. And so what you ended up with is a bunch of moral teaching. We should generally be good religious people because that's just the nice thing to do. But at the heart of what we believe about Jesus is a person who was both God and human, who died and rose again. At the the heart of our story is like some, some things that really confront us and our understanding and experience of the world, at least for me. I don't know if any of y'all have met a God man or any of y'all have seen a dead person come back to life. I personally haven't, and so that's challenging, right? But the goal for us this morning, we will touch on some of the challenging things, but our goal this morning is to actually recover something, to help you, give you the tools to wade through this, but to walk out of the door with something really practical that you can grab a hold of and say, this is my way forward. Regardless of my doubts, regardless of wherever I'm at, whether that's overly simplistic, overly critical, or you're like, what are you even talking about? I don't even know what the scriptures are. does not matter. Giving you something you can walk out the door and take home with you. But I want us to recapture some wonder, some mystery. I love this from, this is a German Catholic theologian who spent, right, so think this is, guy grew up in like, born in the 30s, grew up through like post-enlightenment, like everything is reason and criticism. And this is, these are the, the Germans are the one who began like really dissecting the scriptures and helping us understand that things weren't just as simple and literal. And there's a whole conversation about this. We'll talk about it in the summer class. Um, so this is a German Catholic theologian, very critical, very like uh, high-minded. He is a scholar. He is at the top of his field. And listen to what he says. His name is Gerhard Lofink. That is an excellent German name. If ever there was a German name, Gerhard Lofink is it. But listen to this. Every theologian has to go through that critical phase, that criticism phase. At any rate, I went through it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But now, I want to read my Bible again. 
I carry the burden of scholarship with me in my backpack. It's necessary, and we have to bring it along with us because it helps us to understand the text in its final form. And yet, in the end, I want to be carried forward by the text itself and its fascination. I rejoice in it. I'm frightened by its claims upon me. I allow myself to be comforted by it. And I live in the scriptures like a child whose mother tells it a story at bedtime. This is what I want to recapture. This is what I think Jesus is inviting us into. And so uh, there's a lot here, but I want to start with this very simple idea. Why are we even having this conversation to start with? There are two simple realities that I want to point out um, from our text this morning. One is that Jesus was deeply, deeply committed to the scriptures. Jesus, the, the one whom we follow, the one who is at the center of our gathering and hopefully the center of our lives, was deeply committed to the scriptures. He studied them. He memorized them. Um, he followed them. There is no part of Jesus that seems to be suggesting that we should take the scriptures and throw them in the trash can. Uh, listen to Matthew chapter 4. Verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Yeah, I would be too. That's a long time to not eat anything. And then the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered him, It's written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes mouth of God. And I love this because Jesus responds to this temptation with scripture. And this isn't some sort of like sword drill, for those of y'all that know what that is. It's like, hey, temptation, boom, Mark 12, 15, right? Boom, pop, 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 just out here killing evil with our Bible verses. No, 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 Jesus is suggesting, hey, no, no, there's life in these words, and so I shall not depart from them, which is actually literally what Deuteronomy, the book that Jesus is quoting here, says. You can find life in these words. So Jesus, in his wrestling with these temptations, doesn't use scripture as a weapon, but instead as a revelation of how human beings ought to exist within God's world. He uses scripture as orientation. This is how I'm supposed to show up in the world. This is how I'm supposed to show up in temptation is to entrust myself in my hunger, in my pain, in the real like, yeah, I would love some bread right now. No, 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 no. I I choose to believe that what God has said is actually right and true, not what this tempter is suggesting. And this is exactly what's happening back in Genesis. Adam and Eve were given this good and beautiful and bountiful world to live in and to enjoy. And the tempter comes along and the tempter says, did God really say? And we get into all kinds of weird debates about like, what sort of fruit in it? It's a weird magic tree. And da, da, da. When really the issue was not that they ate the fruit. The issue was that they did not trust God. They fought, even for a split second, they thought, I know better than That's when it all unraveled. I know better than he does. 
And so Jesus' insistence is not in like, hey, we should follow the rules because they're the rules. But it's about rightly existing in right relationship with God in God's world. Jesus is not interested in morality. That is, a, that is a side effect of right relationship with God. Jesus is interested in trust. Who and what do you believe is going to offer you life? What do you think is going to make you happy? What do you think is going to bless you and give you wholeness? This is the question on the table. Jesus, you seem to be lacking something. Just make some bread. Jesus is suggests, no, 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 we need something far greater, far more profound than just bread. Okay, I I want us to also notice something very important here. So, So part two, it's important for us to not dismiss the scriptures because Jesus finds them important, um, right? This Redemption Church is like a, a safe space for you to explore Jesus and encounter Jesus. And so if, if you're not here, that's totally fine. Like, you are absolutely welcome here. But if we are to the place where we're like, yes, I want to follow Jesus, I want to learn from Jesus, I, w- I want to live into the way that Jesus teaches me to live, we have to grapple with this. But Jesus isn't the only one who uses Scripture, is he? Did you notice the devil also uses scripture? Look at the next verse, Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple. Right, so they go to Jerusalem, they go up to the highest point, and they're looking out over God's city, and the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, and then he quotes the psalm. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, no, 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 it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil uses the scriptures, y'all. I I think so many of our wounds, so so much of our criticism, so much of our, like, desire to, like, throw the scriptures out is not because of the scriptures, but how the devil has used the scriptures to work evil into the world, right? The devil can quote a Bible verse, y'all. Just because you have a Bible verse does not mean that is giving you some sort of uh, permission to go and do whatever it is you think uh, the Bible verse is saying you can go and do. The devil can quote a verse. So we can't abandon the scriptures, but we also have to come to the scriptures and use them with care because we can use scripture and not be trusting God. We can have scripture and be living in ways that are aligned with scripture and actually be living into the intentions of the devil. So if you are uh, with me on this, you should be going, okay, great. So what in the heck am I supposed to be doing? That's good. That's the right question. <laughs> so, so let's back up and start with like what the Bible is. And this is where we'll start to have a real quick crash course on this. If you've got questions about any of this, we can certainly sit down and have a longer, more specific conversation. But I want to paint with some broad brushes really quickly. First, let's recognize that the Bible is not a book. Right? I understand that you all have Bibles in front of you, uh, in the chairs in front of you, and it is bound into a single thing, and we call it a book. The word Bible doesn't actually mean book. It comes from, like, through Latin and Greek, it's 
closer to biblioteca, which I used to always joke means Bible. And it doesn't mean joke. Those of you who know Spanish, biblioteca means library. It is a library of writings. It is not a book. And there are even some Christian traditions that argue what ought to go in that library and what ought not to. But the Bible is not a book. It is a library of texts. And I'm so glad y'all know Spanish better than I do. That makes me happy. The Houston Public School District is very excited about that. Uh, Assuming y'all went to HIC, you probably didn't. Okay. But they have different, like these different texts have different authors and different audiences and different genres and different contexts. And all of that matters. So really crazy story that would probably offend my wife if she were here. Hi, sweetie, you're watching at home. We'll talk about this when I get home. <laughs> so I was dating this girl before Gabby a long time ago. Yeah, right. It was not going well. Um, this was in my, uh, my uh, prodigal son days, and I was not living as the Lord would require me. And anyways, um, I was, like, had gotten out of this relationship, but also was like, I don't know, this relationship was terrible for me, but also like I was in it for a reason, and so I was really wrestling with this. And I know, I'll go to the Lord and ask him for help. And so I took my Bible, and I opened it up, and I went, swear to God, y'all. Sorry, can I say that in church? I don't think I can. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to get in a wreck on the way home. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways, I open my Bible, I point down, I look, and it says, Thou shalt marry the harlot and take her into thy bed. I'm like, that can't be right. This feels, that doesn't seem, I had turned to the book of Hosea, in case you're wondering what in the world that was. Right, and so, like, please hear me that we can't just open the Bible and say, well, I wonder, I need some life inspiration. I need to know what it says to me. And we pick a verse. We go, oh, this must be what I need to do. Otherwise, we're all going to be out there participating in prostitution, and it's going to be a mess. Don't do that. It won't go well. And we can talk about divorce later, maybe, because <laughs> I don't know if Gabby's ever heard that story. But anyways, <laughs> um, But the main thing for us to grapple with is that God has actually and really spoken through these texts. And as messy and as complicated and as hard to understand as they are, that matters. That's important. Like, we should, like, find something there worth saving, worth, like, working for. Um, See this in 2 Peter 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure. Right, so he's saying, hey, we experienced Jesus. We encountered Jesus firsthand. We saw him. We touched him. We lived with him. We ate with him. We have what the Old Testament talked about made more sure, tangible, in front of us. We saw him, right? So watch his application here. So you would do well to pay attention to it. We've encountered Jesus, so you ought to pay attention to the scriptures. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture becomes a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Peter is saying, right, and the thing that Peter is actually addressing is bad interpretations of Scripture, false prophets. There's a bunch of people running around the church teaching crazy things about Jesus, and Peter's like, no, 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 that's not it. Remember, like, I saw him, I know him. That Jesus that they're describing is not the real Jesus. Look back into the Scriptures, and you will see this, right? And so this is his 
complete for them. But in this, we see this idea that uh, prophecy is both human and God working together. And it sounds, it begins to sound a lot like exactly how God does all sorts of things in the world. It begins to sound a lot like the church, where God, by his spirit, dwells within messy and broken human beings. It begins to sound a lot like Jesus, who was God in the flesh, who lived among messy and broken human beings. It sounds a lot like Israel, a group of messy and broken human beings amongst whom God dwelled. And all of a sudden we realize, oh yeah, this is always how God does stuff. He uses messy and broken human beings to reveal himself out into the world. And so we have to hold both of these in tension and in context. It is, in fact, God speaking through the messy and human beings, but it is, in fact, messy and human beings who are, like, participating in this. And, like, progressive Christians tend to want to emphasize, well, no, it was just humans. It's just like, I don't know, they wrote some poetry, and, like, that's beautiful, and all beauty is God's, and so, therefore, like, oh, yeah, see, that's inspired. And conservatives want to do like this, no, 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 God like possessed the human, and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what I'm writing right now, this is crazy, look at this, y'all. It's like this golden tablets from heaven sort of situation, which I literally just described a religion, but, (laughs) right? Like, that's not what we believe, and that makes our sacred book weird. There's no other religion that I know of that that believes both of these things together, that human beings in their own voice, in their own history, in their own context are speaking, and yet it is God speaking through them. And so what is it that the scriptures are doing, right? If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. Um, So I actually stole this from a couple different people. Shout out to the Averys for hooking me up with the Voxology podcast. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. Um, I feel like I, like, shout y'all out almost every week now. It's because of Voxology. Yeah. So in Star Wars, I'm not actually, like, a big Star Wars person. Like, you could say, like, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Marvel. Like, they all kind of do this. There's this idea in this sort of literature of, like, world building. That, that there are certain rules that George Lucas has determined, like if you're going to play in my sandbox, this is, this is the boundaries. This is how the sandbox works, right? And so you have this giant canon of Star Wars stuff. It's, it's like different genres, right? We've got movies. We've got miniseries. We have like fan fiction. You have comic books. You have stories for children. You have stories for adults. You've got cartoons. You've like all sorts of things. Different authors, different directors, different writers, and yet they're all building on the same world. To the point that, like, the new movies come out and all y'all are like, no, no, that's not real Star Wars, that's false Star Wars, because it doesn't fit with your understanding of how Star Wars should go. Like, this is exactly, they call that world building, but this is exactly what the scriptures are doing. They are reshaping and reorienting our imagination. They're world building. This is, this is God inviting us into the world that is breaking in, even as we live in this broken and messy version of it. And so God speaks through the scriptures to shape our imagination, to help us understand what we are called and invited to live into, to realize that, no, 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 life is not found in listening to Satan and making bread on your own. Life is found this way instead of that way. 
So similarly, the scriptures and all of their poetry and all of their mythology and all of their history and all of their letters and all of their gospels from all of their authors and all of their spans of time are helping us understand the world that we inhabit, but also the one that Jesus has called us to inhabit, right? The kingdom of God is breaking in. There is a way the world works, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't live into that. Do it this way. We often describe this as the upside-down kingdom. Right, so if, if the rule of the world is, like, for simplicity's, simplicity's sake, y'all are an educated bunch, a bunch of scientists in here, y'all are going to be like, well, actually, uh, okay, just roll with me in my fifth grade, sorry, 10th grade um, biology education, okay? Like, the, the rule of the world is survival of the fittest. Right, if you want to get ahead, you got to kill or be killed. It's dog-eat-dog world. Uh, to quote Ted Lasso, it's a, what is it, the Uberhund, if you saw the, some of the most recent episodes. It's the opposite of uh, underdogs or top dogs, Uberhund. Okay. Y'all should watch Ted Lasso. It's good for your soul. Where in the world was I going with any of this? I don't even know. <laughs> right, so, so this world is a world of nature. It is not a world of grace. Uh, Terrence Malick has a film that I love called The Tree of Life at the very beginning. Like, I could watch this over and over and over and over again, and it makes me want to worship because this whole thing is building on this idea that there are two ways to exist in the world. And, and these are my words, not his. But there's the way of nature, and there's the way of the kingdom of God. And the way of nature is a way that, like, uh, abuses and uses my neighbor to get ahead. And the way of grace is self-sacrificial love where you give yourself for the sake of your neighbor. You disadvantage yourself for the sake of the community. It's a way of grace. Jesus is inviting us to be a people of forgiveness, a people of grace, a people of the community and not of individualism, a people of vulnerability and not of hiding and shame. Jesus is inviting us into like a way that goes against everything that's in our like desire to behave and act in the world. And so what role do the scriptures play in this? They help us reimagine what that looks like. Brian Zond has a great couple of books on this. One is Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, where he like directly like deals with this question of scripture. The other one is When Everything's on Fire, where he talks about deconstruction as a whole, some beautiful uh, ways of thinking in there that I love. But here's what he says about what the Bible is trying to do. The Bible wants to carry me beyond the constricting totalism of empire, of power, of I gotta get mine, right? And toward the faith-imagined possibilities of the kingdom of God. So we inhabit the kingdom of God under the authority and the life-giving reign of Jesus, and his reign is characterized by self-giving love. So this means that the, the, the scriptures then paint a picture of God's way of seeing the world as it should be. And I know that there are like a hundred questions that you have right now. Yeah, but what about this verse? And yeah, what about this section? And yeah, what about like these things in Deuteronomy that are like wild and crazy? Okay, hold on, time out. Have you read Deuteronomy? Like not, not the verse, not like the paragraph. Have you read the book? Like from beginning to end, have you read Deuteronomy? Because yes, there are some highly problematic verses in there. Uh, let me kindly suggest this. To many of you. I think a lot of us rightly struggle with the God of the Old Testament, but I think part of the reason why we struggle with the God of the Old Testament is because we have been, we've seen glimpses 
passages that talk about the God of the Old Testament, and we haven't actually read the Old Testament. Right? It's a daunting task. I realize like, that's, like, that's a lot. Well, I was sharing this with someone recently. I don't remember who it was. But like, the more I live, the longer I live, uh, the more I'm convinced that like, good things are often hard things. They're not easy. They're not quick. That they actually require patience and slowness and time and space. And I think so much of what Jesus is inviting us into is to slow down. And like he's kind of like my way of understanding. He was like rigged the, the world so that we have to. There are no like cheap, cheap and easy solutions. And so you don't read Genesis 1 and all of a sudden know all the secrets of the universe. But that the more you read, the more questions you actually have. Like every answer gives you five more questions. And maybe Jesus is inviting us into something a little bit like faith. We don't have certainty. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all of the knowledge. But we have a deeper, more profound trust in him and what he's promised to do for us. So practice number one, I want to encourage you guys to do. And I'm actually going to have all of the hub groups. I haven't written your hub guide yet. So those of you all that meet right after this morning, um, I want you all to do this, right? I want you to read an entire book together of the Bible. Don't pick Isaiah. You'll be there for like several hours. Don't do that. Like do like Philippians or Colossians or Galatians. It'll take you 15 to 20 minutes. I don't know. If there's four people, break it up into a chapter each. If there's 20 people, break it up into like you read five verses and then we do like this popcorn thing. But read it out loud and to each other and don't have this mindset as you read. What what do I need to do? Instead, just sit and listen. Just hear it. And in the large chunk that it is, just hear it. This is what Bonhoeffer has to say about reading scripture together. The single verse for the day is still not scripture. That's not the scripture that will remain for all of time until the final day. Holy scripture is more than just a watchword. It's also more than light for today. It is God's revealed word for all humanity for all times. Holy Scripture does not consist of individual chunks of passages. It is an entire unit and is intended to be used as such. Only in the infiniteness of its interrelationships, in the connection of both the Old and the New Testament, of the promise and the fulfillment, of the sacrifice and the law, the law and the gospel, the cross and the resurrection, faith and obedience, having and hoping, will the full witness to Jesus Christ the Lord be In other words, he's saying, look, there's a time and a place to read small chunks of Scripture, but if that's all you're ever doing, let's together read large chunks of this. One of the real ironies of this, right, so if you come from an evangelical world like I do, uh, we are uh, evangelical-ish or post-evangelical church. It's like, look at the way we treat Scripture. We speak very highly of it. We'll read a little bit of it. But, like, if you were to go to uh, some, a friend of mine is the vicar at Holy Family on the east side of downtown. And, like, he showed me what they do for, I'm like, really? And people, like, stay? Like, <laughs> y'all, it's chapters of the Bible. And then he'll talk for, like, 10 minutes, and then they just read chapters more of the Bible. I'm like, people show up every week for this? Like, this is weird. And then we accuse them of having a low view of Scripture. I know y'all need me to talk about it for 45 minutes. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 let's just read it. Let's read the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let's read a psalm. We're just going to hear it together. And for some reason, they keep showing up. I don't know. Um, A couple of ways that we want to avoid reading. 
read it together, read it in like large chunks, a couple of ways to avoid reading. One is the tablets of heaven reading, right? This is an overly simplistic, literal reading of the text, right? And this just doesn't work, right? We approach Proverbs and like, oh, no, no, you got to do it this way, except for what happens when you do it that way and it doesn't work out the way that Proverbs tell you, tells you it's going to work out. Or when you open your Bible and you pick a verse and it tells you to go marry the harlot and take her to bed, like, right? This is not the way we ought to read scripture. And that's not, right, I'm not suggesting that, we shouldn't read the Bible literally. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm like, it's a way more complicated question than that. Jesus tells the disciples, go and get a donkey. Oh, so if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to go and get a donkey. Like, of course not. And this is where we run into a problem because what we're really doing is we're trying to read the Bible moralistically. And so our overly simplistic tablets of heaven reading that the conservatives tend to bring to the table is that the Bible is a rule book. It's God's basic instructions before leaving earth. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. We're good. Right? Yes, of course there are lots of commands in scriptures. But which ones apply to you? Which ones do you need to follow? I don't see anyone wearing head coverings. Except for Mike. Mike's got a head covering. Which is actually what he's not supposed to be doing according to 1 Corinthians 11. Right? We should burn him. No, no, we're not going to burn anybody. (laughs) Right, what God is saying through those, to, through those commands to us today in 2023 is not a one-to-one correlation in any case. Like, we have to filter this through their context, our context. It's why we need the community. This is a whole other conversation. We'll talk about it in the class in the fall, or we can get coffee. But don't read it moralistically. The point of the scriptures is not to get you to follow rules. Rule following makes you really easy, it makes it really easy for you to hide, to tick boxes, and to say, look how pleased I am, or look how much God is pleased with me, and then to turn around and point your finger at others who aren't ticking those boxes. Well, if you were a real Christian, you would do this. And I've seen conservatives and progressives do this. If you really follow Jesus like I do, then you would do this. We can't read the Bible moralistically. We have to read the Bible transformatively. The Bible is inviting us into something. It's inviting us to be a certain type of people, not to behave in a certain type of way. And of course, being a certain type of people is going to impact the way we behave. But the reverse is not necessarily Um, Jesus says this all over the place to the religious leaders. In fact, look at um, John chapter 5. I think I put this in the slides. John chapter 5, verse 39. He's talking to the religious leaders in the gospel of John. They're accusing him of like, hey, but what about the scriptures? And he says, you examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that testify about me. Read it in a way that is wrong because it did not point you to Jesus. And this is our last main point I want you to hear. Scripture's point is is to point us to God's reality, which exists by and for and through Jesus. And so if we're somehow walking away from reading Scripture and it is not directing us into Jesus, we're missing something. Right, if it's directing us to hate our neighbor or to other or to, right, whatever. And so our reading needs to go from information gathering to transformative, intimate 
reading. And like, here's the difference. Most of us have been taught, I need to read the Bible to gain new information about who God is and what God's like. The more information about God that I have, the more Christian I am. And so, I don't know, let's do, ooh, I've got it, a Bible study. The more Bible studies I can do, the more holy and righteous I will become. And like, let's just, let's go back and check the track record. From 2017 to 2023, who do you think was doing more Bible studies? And how did that work out in the political landscape of the United States? Are we loving our neighbors any more than we were before? Smell what I'm stepping in? Knowledge is not the answer. New information is not the answer. Different information is not the answer. The answer is intimacy. Right, so this idea of knowledge in the scriptures detached from intimacy is like completely foreign. To, to the point that the word in the Old Testament for knowledge is also the same word like Abraham knew his wife. And we like snicker, like, hee hee, we know what that means, right? But it's the same word to be like, yeah, and he knew wisdom. Well, how did he know wisdom? Whoa, bro, like, what are you saying? But that's, the, that's exactly the point. Like, I have firsthand tangible experience about this thing. I didn't just read it in a book. It is not distant from me. I have intimacy with this information. And for our purposes, it is the God of the information that we are seeking intimacy with. Going, uh, entering into the scriptures is an invitation to encounter the living God, to encounter the person of Jesus, to hear him speak to our souls. And so um, what that's going to mean is that it's hopefully in that intimacy, in that relationship, Jesus is going to invite us into some things that we're like, I don't know, maybe uncomfortable, right, if we're actually going to listen, right? So, for example, if I were to uh, hand you out, like, a quiz, it's like, hey, is loving your enemies a good thing? Most of you would be like, yeah, that's what Jesus teaches, loving your enemies is a good thing, right? Now go do it. Or... Go and enter into the presence of Jesus with the knowledge that you have not actively loved your enemies and safely confess that in his presence. Here I am in your presence, in my like brokenness. I have refused to love my enemies and I'm here anyways and trusting in your grace and in your forgiveness and in your delight in me. Lord, help me to love my enemies. This is what the scriptures is inviting us into. Okay, so how do you do it? Practice number two, um, and this is where we'll end. I'm almost done, I promise. Y'all have been riveted, though, so this is great. This is good. We're good vibe. I swore I would never use that word, and I just did. Lord, I apologize. <laughs> Speaking of confession. Okay, so this is a, a practice called Lectio Divina. It, it's Latin. Don't worry about it. It's been around for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. In fact, listen to what um, Dom Armand Voyou, I yeah, uh, this Trappist monk says about encountering the God of the scriptures in the scriptures. For the monks of the desert, contact with the word is contact with the fire that burns, disturbs, and calls violently to conversion. Ooh. 
contact with Scripture is not for them a method of prayer. It is a mystical encounter, and this encounter often makes them afraid insofar as they are conscious of its demands. Right? So hear what he's saying clearly. He is not saying that we encounter God in the Scriptures and we're terrified of God. No, no, no. What he's saying is we're encountering God in the Scriptures and we're terrified of what he might ask of us. I'm really, really comfortable in this way of life. God, please, like, don't, like, don't mess with this. Hey, Jesus, uh, I don't know. What does it mean to love my neighbor? Go sell everything you've got and go give it to the poor. And Jesus gives that man that invitation into life with no expectation and no judgment when he doesn't do it. Right? When he walks away, he doesn't turn around and be like, that guy, he's going to hell. Right, guys? Right? It's a real invitation of love, and yet the guy's like, no, no, I can't do that, and he walks away sad. So what is Lectio Divina? It's a way of reading the scriptures. You can do this in a group. You could also do it alone. This is what I would um, encourage you to try alone. It's a four-step process that acknowledges the presence of the Holy Spirit who will use the scriptures to speak to us. There's four steps. You're basically going to begin in silence. We take a moment to calm ourselves our distraction, our busyness, our weariness, to sit in God's presence. There's, there's something about doing this at the beginning of the day. You don't have to do it at the beginning of the day. There's something that just kind of fits there that's nice. But it is a preparation of letting go and expecting God to somehow show up. So after a moment of silence, you entrust yourself to God, to God's love for us, and then you read. You read a selected text, something small, something bite-sized, so like a, a opposite of what we were talking about earlier. You're going to read, I don't know, four to eight verses. And you read slowly, meditatively. You read it like a love letter. Eugene Peterson has this beautiful description of a dog chewing on a bone, and he just chews on the bone and chews on the bone, and the next day he comes back and he's turned the bone at a different angle, and now he's chewing it this way, and he moves it in this mouth, in this corner of the mouth. And, and his whole idea is he does all this lexical work and finds out this is exactly what the word meditation means. It is just this obsessive chewing on something. And you've all done it, right? Uh, anyone has like, like said something to you, and then you go home and you're laying in bed at night, you're like, I should have said this to that person. Maybe I should have said this to that person. No, no, no. That, that's meditating. Congratulations. You're well-versed. Good job. You're like, no, that's anxiety. What are you... <laughs> But our goal is not to figure anything out in this first reading. It's just to pay attention and to read slowly, to be with the text, and and look for a word or a phrase that, for whatever reason, seems to resonate with you. Um, Rich Voyotis, in his deeply formed life, says it this way. In reading, we approach Holy Scriptures not as an object, but as a subject. It's more than ancient words on a page. Scripture is not to be approached as an object of our inquiry, but as an animating force that sets its gaze on us. And as we read scripture, we come to understand that God is reading us. Right, and this is where, at least least for me, it becomes a little bit terrifying, but also a little bit, like, exciting. Like, I really want that, but I don't want that. Like, ah. And then we reflect. So part two, we reflect. And this is the intersection of, of our life with what we've read. And so the question is not, how do I apply this? What do I need to do? No, 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 we're not there. And we maybe never, ever get there, actually. But instead, where am I in this text? Where where do I resonate with this text or this word or this phrase? What is it in my life, in my soul, that needed this text today? 
how is God showing up to me in this text? This Trappist monk who has a French name that I butcher, Don Armand Veillot, there you go, nailed that one, I think, I don't know. He says it this way, this reflection of scripture is not understood as a vocal prayer, but rather as a constant contact with God through his word. It is a constant attentiveness, which itself becomes a constant prayer. Isn't that beautiful? Like, like if I hear this stuff, and I'm like, I want this, right? And then we respond. It's here we move from listening to speech. What do you want to say to God? What have you heard? What's been stirred up in you? Like, what, what needs to come out of you? What, what do you need to say or want to say? Is it, Lord, here I am, I'm ashamed? Is it, oh my gosh, I can't believe you love me? Is it um, delight? Is it thanksgiving? Is it gratitude? Is it confession? Is it, like, respond to God with where you're at? And pour out your honest and true feelings, right? This is where beauty happens. I'm not saying what I think God needs me to say or what I think God expects me to say. I am open and vulnerable in the presence of God, and that's where I get to find real grace, real transformation, real beauty, and delight. And then you conclude with contemplative rest. We finish with one final reading followed by a period of silence where we just rest in God. Appreciate the fact that God has met us in the text. So, um, two tools for you today. One, large chunks of reading. You can do this by yourself. I, I like doing it in groups. I suggest doing it in groups. Um, but you can do it by yourself also. And then the Lectio Divina, which is also, I recommend doing it by yourself, but you could also do it in groups. But I want to conclude today with a quote from Eugene Peterson on recovering our wonder in the reading of Scripture. Because I get we have rightly have a lot of skepticism and criticism surrounding the Scriptures for lots of different reasons. But I love the invitation here because I think there is life on offer for us. Paul Rico has wonderful counsel for people like us. Go ahead, he says. Maintain and practice your hermeneutics of suspicion. It's important to do this. Not only important, it's necessary. There are a lot of lies out there. Learn to discern the truth and throw out the junk, but then re-enter the book. Re-enter the book. The library, Brandon. That's his words, not mine. Re-enter the world. Re-enter what he calls a second naivete. Look at the world with childlike wonder, ready to be startled into surprised delight by the profuse abundance of truth and beauty and goodness that is spilling out of the skies at every moment. And cultivate a hermeneutic of adoration. See how large, how splendid, how magnificent life is. And practice this hermeneutic, uh, Peterson goes on, practice this hermeneutic of adoration in the reading of Holy Scripture. And then plan on spending the rest of your lives exploring and enjoying the world, both vast and intricate, that is revealed by this text. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. Please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted 
just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.